Welcome to A Couch Divided, where we draw a line between secular psychology and the biblical worldview with Dr. Robin Hall and myself, Nick Thomas. All right, Nick, sit back and relax. And if you can't, we need to talk about that. <laughs> Prepare to be couched. Prepare to be couched. You know what? As we're recording this episode, there's like three dogs in, in the living room, right? <laughs> and one of them is being awfully cute and just like rolling all over the floor. <laughs> so if you hear the uh, sweet sounds of a puppy... <laughs> Uh, that should make you feel good. It's yes. appropriate. <laughs> so I know. That, and that's a great launch into this episode because we're going to finish up our timeline here pretty quick and then we're going to launch right into the psychological consequences of our COVID-19 pandemic. Right. So just to reiterate, we've been going over a timeline in a couple of uh, the last episodes um, about um, where we were at a particular time when the uh, uh, coronavirus, the novel coronavirus hit um, uh, this world and... Uh, and what that's produced and uh, and the certain milestones, I think that we used that word last time. Yeah, <laughs> we did. The uh, <coughs> certain milestones of this COVID um, pandemic. And we're going to finish now uh, that timeline. Um, we're going to wrap that timeline up and then talk about, you know, how was how it's affected our lives a- after that uh, as well. And right. so primarily uh, in the psychological way. Yes, and hopefully, yes, solely that. Uh, mm-hmm. And so, um, and of course, what does God think about this, and how does God tell you to handle these uh, these things? What is right? What is wrong? And then, really, how to have the, the that self control or that mind uh, control um, I- in that, so that you can grab a hold of your actions uh, and be still and and to know that He is God. Um, we're uh, we're approaching right now in the timeline the middle of June. And we're going to go to August uh, with this uh, with this timeline and wrap it up uh, in August, and then uh, uh, talk a little about uh, a little bit uh, of uh, the COVID effects after that. Um, around uh, the middle of June, about June seventeenth, uh, we uh, Arizona uh, starts their mask up campaign. And this is a reaction to the other states uh, and to other countries nationally talking about mask wearing so though there were mixed messages about the effectiveness of wearing masks uh, to combat the virus there were still uh, there were calls early on uh, to put a mask mandate in place Governor Ducey our governor here in Arizona eventually said that he would leave it up to the individual cities and counties to implement and enforce a mask mandate in public this is June 17th this is a little different now Uh, that's exactly what happened in this uh, in this time um, uh, Maricopa County and many of its cities uh, put some type of mask requirement in place. Uh, now we're in uh, December 2020. That's not the case anymore. We have now a mandated mask mm-hmm. order uh, that got implemented a, a little later. Right. Again, man, a mandate is not law. Right. So uh, truly, this is just a suggestion, but any place, and I'm sure this is true across the country, I know that um, watching some of the... Um, tyranny resistance efforts of our brothers and sisters up at uh, Cross Church in Idaho, um, that it's definitely true there too. But most of our businesses here, um, right now, Nick and I are recording in the great city of Glendale, Arizona. Um, any small businesses in downtown Glendale um, have all got signs on the doors that you're not allowed to enter without a mask. I happen to be... Um, <laughs> a full nine months pregnant so i'm medically exempt from wearing one um because you well truly wearing one for any length of time makes me very lightheaded and that's the solution get pregnant (laughs) 
<laughs> create more image bearers, right, yeah, Nick? Right, right. Nick, the image bearer, See, Thomas. We already yeah. talked about being fruitful. Yeah. And so uh, one way is to be fruitful and avoid the mess. Right. That's right. <laughs> so anyway, I, I honestly, and I'll admit this, um, I frequently wear the mask anyway um, because I am, I, I would like to avoid conflict um, and arguing with people when I enter stores. So. There have been a couple of times where I've engaged in dialogue with individuals about it. Um, you know I mean, I've heard horror stories, but um, I tend not, not to, and I haven't ran into Karen whatsoever. Well, that's interesting, because one time, the one time that I did, I was with you. Oh, yeah, but I was outside and didn't experience <laughs> what you were experiencing. <laughs> so I had a, there was an incident, um, let's see, when was this? It was like... This was early on. This was around this time. Uh, was it in August around, or yeah, June? Yeah, about June, we went out to dinner. After church, yeah, right? And, uh, and uh, after church, and yeah. Um. Yeah, so, uh, I don't know if we should out the restaurant. Should we out the restaurant? Yeah, let's, okay, let's, let's we'll be posted. we'll yeah. be sweet. Um. Anyway, I entered a restaurant, and for any of you that um have been pregnant or know somebody pregnant, you will um relate with this having to use the restroom in kind of an urgent way frequently. So um, I really had to pee. <laughs> yeah. um, we were waiting for a table at this restaurant. And so one of the very interesting things that that they're doing is you must wear a mask while you're in the like lobby or foyer, foyer of a restaurant. But as soon as you get to the table, you can take the mask off. Right. Yeah, yeah, Which so makes sense because COVID doesn't infect people in the lot or yeah, at the table, yeah. only in the lobby. California even had a law to where it's like. You have to wear the mask even when you eat. And so when you take a bite, you can lift up the mask. And not a eat. law. Yeah. Not yeah. a law. A suggestive a sug order. Yeah. <laughs> a suggestion. Um, uh, that you will get criticized for not following. Right. So. so anyway, I walk into the restaurant. I'm literally in that like urgent going to pee my pants type of scenario. Um, and this 18 year old. I mean, I'm assuming he was 18. This young, young host. Um, starts yelling after me as I'm rushing by him to go to the restroom that I need to wear a mask. And I politely turn around to him and say, I'm exempt. Um, and in an all encompassing thought, if it's the spittle, he was actually actually exhibiting more spittle, <laughs> even while wearing the mask. It doesn't totally block it. This, this by yelling after <laughs> you and running going, hey, he was very, very concerned. I mean, he yeah. was truly concerned. Um, so anyway, I make it to the bathroom and, and then I'm walking back out through the restaurant and this is my own my own psychology. I'm going to out here a little bit for whatever reason. We did counsel you after this. That's for sure. Yeah. yeah I, well, <laughs> I, so I, I was compelled to explain to this individual why I wasn't wearing a mask. So I was still relatively newly pregnant or at least not really showing pregnant at that time. So I, you know, I explained I'm pregnant. I'm exempt from wearing this mask. This this individual gave me. Oh, the most Karen look. I I mean, e like in all other circumstances, I typically don't get super Karen looks, but we got to do the uh, 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 podcast on the psychology of the individual who is Karen. Yeah, um, <laughs> great and, series. Uh, uh, and correlate it to the ones who were just named Karen right. and see how they feel. <laughs> oh, my gosh. I think they feel terribly. Yeah, some of them are effective. Some of it, you know. I have a marvelous aunt named Karen, and uh, she isn't like this at all. So uh, I'm sure she, I'm sure that it poor, offends her a little poor, bit. Poor Karen. Poor Karen. Um, but anyway, so this this individual looks at me just with these disapproving eyes. And then in the most patronizing condescending way and i'm not a supporter of or of the idea of the patriarchy anyway but for lack of a better term says well i hope you're being safe and the thought <laughs> that ran through my mind was um uh, 
I've had more time in like training in medical than like you've spent in in high school yeah. essentially. Um, but thank you so much for your concern. Um, Give me my fettuccine Alfredo and right, get out of here. You know, and we weren't. <laughs> I think I just out of the No, we we were not an Italian place. Oh, okay. No. Um, so anyway, um, it was that was really my and and our interaction stopped there. There were no other words exchanged. Um, I uh, <laughs> I just walked out of the restaurant, but I was so heated. I think you'll remember, Nick. I was yeah, just I so was. I was so upset by that, um, which you know could have been a little bit hormonal anyway. But uh, so. We, after some some wonderful counsel from my husband and from Nick, we decided we would remain at the restaurant, even though my first impulse was, we're getting out of here right now. Um, <laughs> like, no, I'm, I'm So hungry, anyway, I'm I mean, first of all, like <laughs> HIPAA, like you're, you're HIPAA like protected from having to explain. Sure. Nobody can even ask you right. what your medical exemption is. I mean, it is not... It is not appropriate in any way for that to happen. Um, and again, this guy didn't ask me. I offered it up um, and feeling compelled to offer it up is my own issue. But yeah. um, and, and as Christians, we do let our reasonableness be known to everybody. Sure. It doesn't mean that we agree with them or that we're going to automatically submit to your concern. But I will let your my reasonable reasonableness be known, whether it's in the affirmative or the negative of so, following what you're asking. Right, I, I, I thought I would give this guy an explanation as to why I wasn't wearing a mask and why I was running past him, you know, like I was being chased by a bull. Yeah. So anyway, um, I'm glad that you haven't experienced any like personally. I've gotten stares and looks. Have you? you? Know, things like that. And a lot of people are saying, you know, why don't you wear the mask? And that's a, that's a whole other discussion in, in the first place. And I'm not saying that I have not ever worn a mask. Right, right. There's some times where, you know, if I'm out, uh, especially late and I'm just walking into the gas station. Uh, yeah. And if I'm just buying a chocolate milk, like I don't want to deal with Karen right now. I'm, I'm putting on the mask. <laughs> I'm going to be here for right. minutes. It's more I like will. a desire to just avoid the Karen interaction. Yeah, I will. Now, I know some gung-ho Puritans right now that would highly slap me in the face. Right. Whether or not I'm wearing a mask or not uh, for even conforming on one iota. And then noted. And you're probably right and I'm wrong. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> yeah, I've, I've I've worn a mask before. Yeah. Right, and I so and I know we're we're right now we're giving you the impression that we're entirely against masks. Um, I think there are certain circumstances where masks are absolutely appropriate if you're wearing the right kind of mask and in the right. Yeah, and if you're sick, so I'm not putting on a mask. <laughs> if I'm not sick. <laughs> um, these like little cloth masks that yeah. people are making to wear. I hate to break it to you. It's doing nothing but increasing your own carbon. Carbon uh, dioxide intake. And what does this do to to the individual now that says that just because you exist, you're viral? And not in a good way. It's like you're not going, you're not famous on YouTube, viral. Well, and there, you know, uh, like to kind of further that into the psychological discussion, (coughs) excuse me, there's such shaming that goes on. You're you're a neighbor hater if you don't wear a mask. um, You're being extremely unloving. You're the reason that grandma is dying or that somebody else's grandma is dying. Um, not the other effects that we've already talked about. And it's so interesting how that's not considered hate rhetoric. Yeah, uh, yeah not the, uh, yeah, you know, like, uh, you, you can label me essential or not essential, and you're loving, but I cannot wear a mask. And, and then I'm, I'm unloving, yeah, I'm so, unloving. right. Um, yeah, so you, you, you distort and twist scripture for you Christians that obviously follow in, in, in uh, the cultural narrative. Uh-huh. Um, and then also with people, uh, unbelievers who have no uh, standard of what it love or identity is, right. but only predicated upon their theory and worldview. 
Great. I, I don't know if you saw that uh, a friend, really good friend of ours, Marcus Pittman, um, who just recently moved to Moscow, Idaho, um, doing really awesome, amazing things, too, by the way. If you haven't heard of his new endeavor lore, you should t- definitely check that out. I have, and it's great. Um, he recently had the police called on him. Yes. Because he was COVID-19 positive, mm-hmm. even though he had quarantined and was negative negative for the illness uh he, he had the police called on him while he was eating in a restaurant even after he was done with the illness and done quarantining mm-hmm. um and to not disturb the the business he ended up leaving um but if you follow him on any of his social media you can see that story um and for any anybody that knows anything about marcus Pittman, Pittman, he's had some pretty serious health issues in the past that keep him from wearing a mask mm-hmm. Very legitimate health issues that we're not going to out here on the show, but uh, for those of you that are interested, take a look at his social media and you'll see just how ridiculous yeah, this is getting. Himself, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, um, for himself, so so yeah. So anyway, we digressed quite quite a whole. A We've been digressing since the beginning. <clears throat> That's just what we do, Nick. We digress. Well, why not? We we proclaim the gospel and we digress. There's a there's a there's a lesser tone. We just recorded a, you know an episode right before this, so I think we're like okay, done with the hype. Let's just smooth it out. <laughs> I don't I know that we're capable. And I want to talk to you just one on one. I'm gonna have this. Oh, you you've got that like su- smooth jazz voice going <laughs> yes, right now. Yes. Smooth Welcome to a couch jazz. divided. You just <laughs> entered into the no mental zone. <laughs> <laughs> Come in, sit down on our Come divided and couch. Sit down and mask up. <laughs> yeah, mask up. So anyway, so middle of June, we have our mask up mandate. Um, and again, there are still there is still so much information from both sides of this argument about people uh, who staunchly believe that masks are going to be the savior and people who believe very much that that's not the case. Right. So so this is a messiah complex here. We're not here to tell you what you want to believe. If you feel more comfortable wearing a mask, that's fine. Right. Do You do you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I have no problem with people wearing a mask. No. Uh, uh, but because of the narrative that we're, we're, we're talking about here, it's, it would behoove you to consider what you're giving into and what you're enabling. Why are you wearing the mask? Yeah. Right. So my sister, who is not a believer, I love her dearly. She's not. Um, she works at a children's hospital here in the valley. She wears a mask almost everywhere she goes. She comes in contact with COVID. Right. Mm-hmm. Her reasoning for wearing a mask is going to be totally different from my reasoning for wearing one or not. Right. So we're not here even to make judgments about somebody else's reasons for wearing the one yeah. wearing them or not wearing them and let's, that's it's, it's try a, not to speak evil of, of right everybody it should be personal conviction yeah. but we would charge each and every one of you to consider why it is that you're wearing one and if it's simply because you've heard somebody on the news say that it's it's important i would i would argue that you should explore that a little more yeah and uh, go ahead and stop being Somebody that just listens to a narrative and right. you know, a little bit of your own research. You know. I love, there's this Vody Bakum quote, and he's talking about homeschooling, but it's so applicable here, here. Like, we can't expect to send our children to Caesar and not get them back Romans, right? Right. If you are continuously listening to Caesar, you will become a Roman. Right. And end of story. Okay, so... Um, let's see. You want We haven't even talked about hydroxychloroquine. I don't know if we should get into that or not. Well, that was a whole big controversy, too, right. as well. Right. And this also creates some of the narrative of, oh, the government's holding out on us 
or they have this cure and they're not giving it to us. And then Trump was taking it. And Trump was taking it. And so that's automatically bad because he took it. Um, or he's he's got some secret knowledge that he's not sharing with the rest exactly. of us. And then he ended up getting coronavirus anyway. But um, <laughs> uh, so. but received treatment. Um, um, and he was okay yeah. in a matter of days. Well, and thank God. Thank God he was, right? Well, we know the that president, the he's going to get a little bit more. You know, it just proves that we do know how to handle this, by the way. Well, with the medicine. But, so yeah. what I'm, all I'm saying is, is that um, some people re have a fatal reaction to this virus and some people don't. Right. And he didn't. And he and didn't recover quickly. Um, uh, but he also got extra special care that a lot of us are not going. Right. To and for us to say differently would be very naive. Be, be very Ex naive. Extremely yeah. naive. So anyway, um, what? We talked about in our last episode that we're going to be interviewing an ICU nurse who's been at the forefront of all of this since it started. Um, and she'll be able to speak a little bit more to the hydroxychloroquine, um, to hydroxychloroquine as a treatment. Um, I personally have spoken to her about it and she's seen individuals that used it that got better and individuals that were given doses and it did absolutely nothing. So, um, Anybody that believes that this is the cure-all for, or believed then even that it was a cure-all for COVID is mistaken. Right. <clears throat> so, and on to the mass things that we know uh, that the statistics show uh, a mitigation rate of about 25 to 35%, depending on what the study that you're looking at. But this is also predicated on 100% uh, certainty that you are going to get the virus. And we know that even people that don't wear masks, some of them are just not going to get it. So it's an incorrect statistic to go off of. Uh, but it, it does push the narrative that even if there's the slightest chance, wouldn't you rather be extra protected kind of thing uh, and slow the spread? Well, because of the, uh, the cases and spiking, they now want to relate it to a bunch of Trump voting, you know, Christian evangelical toting uh, 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 maskless people are the point of the spike. Right. That we're which the is just certainly not true. Right. 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 Definitely not. And now that could um, distort your mind, and it also creates uh, a division and a divisive, um, uh, a divisive nature in the community and the population at large. Right. So, and when you have divisive communities, you also have resentment. And when you have resentment, you have what riots and everything else. And I mean, that's a again, that's a whole nother uh, a topic in itself. But this coronavirus amongst the political realm that was going on uh, here at this time and in the future uh, later on in 2020 is um, it's overwhelming right well and and again we're we're trying very hard to stay away from some of the larger political implications yeah, even we'll, though we'll, we'll save that for another podcast i don't yeah. want to go in there no but no, no but just i don't want to we want to stay relatively on topic for this one um and there's uh there's a lot to be said for um eliminating um the protests, the the, mon the monumental protests, the race protests, um, the advocacy protests, Black Lives Matter protests, the riots that are recurring across the country, like completely eliminating that from the discussion, potential spread of COVID. But again, we're going to stay away from some of the more political pieces of this and try and focus on the psychological components. So um, by the middle of well, by the end of June, Arizona had required, or excuse me, uh, recorded a higher number of cases. Um, uh, June 29th, actually, we recorded 5,468 new cases in one day. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, 
I think Norm Donald uh, had a joke, and he wasn't. He coughed a little bit, and he wasn't going to talk about the coronavirus. And he, he's like, "Man, I'm 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 in my car, and the news guy. I, I'm I'm trying. To, I'm not going to do the accent of Norm Macdonald." <laughs> Uh, he's like the news guy was like uh, he's saying uh, yeah we have uh, 25 new cases 50 <laughs> 210 <laughs> 300 it's just rapid pace 25 yeah. 50 in a matter of minutes yeah. and days right you know, and, uh, and it's well and I remember like if because I have really bad seasonal allergies and I mean I've got dust allergies anyway and we live in Arizona which is a desert full of dust right so if I sneezed out in public I was terrified that everybody's going to look at me and like, oh, she's spreading the Rona. She's spreading the Rona. Spreading the Rona. Um, anyway, so by the end of June, <laughs> like a good band title. Yeah. Spreading the Rona. Um, we're right. We're spreading the Rona. You guys ready to rock? <laughs> <laughs> we are scorpions. Rock you like a Rona. Anyway. We're going to rock you like a COVID spread. <laughs> um, so our a surge plan was activated at the end of June in Arizona. So hospitals activated Search plans to get ready for potentially more COVID-19 patients. Plans focused on having enough beds, staff members, equipment, and supplies to care for patients. Um, by the end of June, global cases reached 10,475,817 with a death toll oh boy. of 511,000. So in the United States, we just reached a death toll, I think, last week of over 300,000, Nick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, we reached um, not the. I don't think a death toll. Uh, it was in cases, right? I believe that three hundred thousand was the death toll. Okay, well, we yeah. look at that up, and we'll we'll get that. We'll confirm that. But um, th I believe what I was seeing on social media just this last week that we had surpassed that as our death toll. Yeah. Um, which is hugely significant. Right. Hugely significant. Yeah, nobody so is nobody is um, undermining the significance so of that. We've reached four hundred and thirty-one thousand cases uh about 7500 deaths that is oh. that's what we got in arizona yeah no 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 i meant nationwide oh nationwide oh okay. nationwide yeah, yeah. forgive me man I oh no i was not yeah. trying to kill off 300,000 arizona <laughs> yeah, like in arizona that's no. like half of a city <laughs> no 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 nationwide um okay so moving right along into july um we didn't record a ton in july with regards to the timeline our greatest loss days in Arizona were the 16th and the 17th of July, where we we had 98 deaths reported per day. Yeah. Um, let's see. We want to run into August, Nick? Yeah, let's transition into that, and then we'll finish it up with that uh, as far as the timeline goes, and then start getting into the deeper context of what this all <coughs> means and what this has produced. There's a few more timeline points that we're going to discuss as we continue yeah. talking about the psychological impact, but yeah. Uh, in August, it, this is when we started. Um, what right before that, we uh, we started hearing about certain phases to unlock uh, or to end the lockdowns, uh, so to speak. Uh, in August, those went into a full effect. Uh, in AZ, uh, the beginning of August, August sixth, it looked like AZ schools were on the track to reopen at least part time, uh, as long as certain uh, benchmarks were met. Uh, so the majority of AZ uh, counties uh, met those benchmarks. Remember the uh, the um, uh, slow the spread and the flatten the curve; those were taking place. Um, and uh, as long as they uh, met those uh, benchmarks by September, uh, they could reopen. Um, around August 10th, uh, uh, businesses that were closed began a process of reopening, which is there were th that was a s 
That was a huge struggle. Is that nationwide or in Arizona? This is just in, uh, in Arizona, but okay. it's already happening nationwide, too, as well. Okay. Um, business became uh, to uh, reopening. Uh, that, was, that was a struggle. You know, should they reopen? How should they reopen? Capacity, uh, what they should allow in. Can gyms and, uh, and bars and movie theaters, can they? Uh, um, Safely reopen. Yeah, and so in some counties, they reopen. Some uh, states, they reopen. And others, they were denied reopening, just depending on that, uh, the proximity of the spike in COVID in uh, uh, where they were located. Right. So we had a really interesting um, I, well, I remember this was all over television here in Arizona. We had a specific uh, fitness company, Mountainside Fitness, uh, essentially refused to comply with Governor Ducey's uh, yeah, that was a closing order. I almost, um, I almost uh, uh, took my um, a gym membership and transferred it yeah. over to there. Um, they actually sued the governor, which I thought was excellent. Um, yeah. Because we really had zero evidence, scientific evidence linking, like that linking yeah, that rapid spread of COVID in yeah. the gym. Yeah, the, and his point was, you know, you know, if we need to lock down, we need to lock right, down. Right, but show me the evidence. Yeah, you can't arbitrarily choose what businesses what are businesses, open or not. Yeah, remember, you have this only two categories: essential and a non-essential. Right. But then you see your economy tanking around you. Right. So you tweaked it a little bit. And it's so interesting too, because as of um, I think it was like mid. Mid August, um, you actually we get we see some data around severe obesity increasing the mortality risk from COVID. So this is kind of one of those things that we like knew anyway because as a pre-existing condition, b- being like morbidly obese increases blood pressure, um, kidney kidney disease, liver liver dysfunction, diabetes, all of that stuff. Those those underlying conditions make people more susceptible to be fatally uh, impacted by COVID, and yet. In Arizona, we're trying to keep gyms closed. Yeah, we're trying to keep gyms so. closed. Yeah. One thing that can boost your immunity and you just... And not just your out. immunity, but your mental health. Yeah, I mean, we know well. we have lots and lots of evidence that suggests that extra physical exercise is one of the like integral components to maintaining yeah, good know, mental health. You lay off the chicken nuggets and run a little bit, <laughs> you're healthy. Now, I, I'm saying that and, and being convicted at the same time. Sure. I don't like running, and chicken nuggets are really good. <laughs> it depends on the chicken nugget, I think. I, I mean, I'm, I'm I'm not a I'm not racist against chicken nuggets at all. Uh, you know, you're not I, elitist. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not biased. You, you give me a chicken nugget, I'll eat it, uh, <laughs> even if it's bad. And see, I'm like there. a Chick Fil A Popeyes chicken nugget type. I'm just a I'm just you're a Mc, you're McDo- McDonald's. I do, and I know it's made. You know, like whatever. I don't know yeah. why we're getting on the chicken nuggets. <laughs> yes, Laffy Taffy goes into <laughs> chicken nuggets. It's like a peak substance, and they fry it. I need, we can talk about the effects of McDonald's on mental health for. But it's days really good and days. saturated fat, and yeah. it's a good depressive time after. That, so. <laughs> Um, but uh, then now, now we're starting to see schools reopen uh, and then talking about certain ways that they're going to handle. Some of them are online still. Uh, some of them have blended learning or mixed learning, right? Uh, so like one day you'll, you'll meet in person, the other day you'll meet online. Uh, ASU here in Arizona said we're going to open uh, in-person classes, but after Thanksgiving we're going to resume online only. There is a little bit of tweaking in that uh, since um, uh, when they put that into plan, uh, they decided to... Uh, now go fully online uh, right here so uh, and I think earlier than expected right um, but regardless now you know what's this mean to the person that is like let's just say in a county or like in California that has intensive lockdowns but they're looking across to another state that doesn't um, and so you know um, and maybe that state has got a lesser spike and they got more of a spike but it's still it's like you want to get back to life and if I was just simply move a border, 
yeah. than I could. Right, right, right. And so now you have proximity issues. You, you have location issues. Uh, you have. And so God is omnipresent in California. Just as like well he's, as Arizona. he's omnipresent, California, China. No, like nobody's going to argue that it's easier to be a Christian in California than it is to be in China. Right. He's omnipresent. That doesn't. That, but geography matters. Geography yeah. matters. Geography matters. On <laughs> and um, and so where you're located and how you're governing, uh, how your governors are, um, you know, telling you to live. <sighs> and basically, Mr. Newsom. Yeah. Mr. And, uh, and so because God is omnipresent, uh, sovereign and his law never change, it would behoove you to consider what he was thinking, regardless where you're at. Yeah. And um, and to uh, um, play by uh, his law and, and not others. And now this creates a divide. It also also creates a security when you lean on to God's law as well. Right. Yeah. So there's some other really big points, like milestone points that occur that have occurred between August and right now we're in middle, mid-December um, with regard to the timeline. And we'll kind of throw those in as we start to talk more about the psychological um, impact, the psychological impact of this, this crazy year on everybody. Um, and forgive me for using words like crazy, but that's really the best descriptor, I think. Yeah. It's been kind of crazy. Um, so your geographical location matters in this situation where you're at. Uh, as mentioned, uh, you're going to, you know, y- you might be in a state that has a tremendous lockdown. Right. And you're looking over to another state that doesn't. Um, and you're seeing people have more freedoms than what you have now. Um, and it will behoove you now to consider what God is doing in this situation in your life and then what you should yield to mm-hmm. as well. Right. Uh, who he says you are and what freedom that you have in Christ. And though it may look at, uh, like to society that you're rebelling and that you're being unloving, you understand your character, your nature. You understand the proper context of how to love your neighbor. And if your government is wrong on that, then you do have a right to go, you know what, I'm not going to abide by this. Right. Um, um, and though your situation may be tough, um, having that type of mind frame of knowing exactly what is objective. Right. Uh, because in this world of subjectivity, in this world of, uh, of perspective matters, um, instead of yielding to the truth, uh, it can make you feel awful when you restrict it and another person is not. Right. So, right, like um, defiance of tyranny is obedience to God, right? Right, mm-hmm. right. And so we can think about the persecuted church in this situation, too, as well. We're tremendously blessed here in America. Um, and, and though uh, those things are starting to be hindered now, it's not uh, red China, you know, where uh, manifesting and exhibiting your Christian faith could lock you up in jail. Right. Or we send you to prison, right? Right. And so, you know, if is this a precursor to those things? Some might say it is. There are a lot of people that would argue it is. And I'm not so much uh, uh, far from those arguments. Mm-hmm. I, I think I go, hey, if this is really what you want, if you don't speak up or stand up, uh, then you might get uh, what uh, is uh, the persecuted state. Of I think it's an evolutionary country. trajectory. Like if right. you... It starts somewhere, yeah. right? It starts yeah. with a suggestion that's that people are compliant, and then it ev- and then it evolves. Um, I'm not going to speculate on what God's ultimate 
plan is um well it's like obedience to tyranny is slavery mm -hmm. but obedience to god is freedom right and so start to think on those terms how does that manifest in your life so okay so let's jump into some of the psychological consequences now e each and every one of you is going to have their your own personal experience with how your mental health has been impacted since this all started right. um i know i have my experience nick you've got yours um, we've all been witness to and we've observed the experience of the people that are closest to us. And we're like I said before, we're really excited um, in our next episode to bring you perspectives from two um, individuals who've really been first responders in the healthcare system to all of this um, and, and what they have witnessed firsthand um, in the decline of mental of, of certain groups um, in their mental health. So um, we've looked at several studies, um, and believe it or not, there are several studies available um, already that have been comparing mental health statistics um, to a, like a former baseline. Right. So we're going to talk about one in particular that we found really interesting um, that touches on things like post-traumatic stress, depression, anxiety, um, suicidality. <clears throat> Um, we, I haven't really seen a ton with relationship to homicidality. So suicidality being self-harm, homicidality being harm to others. Yeah, this pan pandemic has even restricted uh, thievery and, uh, and homicidal behavior. Why? Because there's nobody out or you, know, you can't break into it. <laughs> well, so I think we need to be care careful with that because that's nuanced, right? So uh, one of the studies that I was just reading actually uh, was referenced, referenced intimate partner violence, yep. so domestic I, violence. I think you're going to see a lot more of that. <laughs> Um, and we've people within the clinical psych, clinical uh, psychology community, mental health community, I think very rightly so have projected tremendous increases in the occurrence of domestic violence incidents since this pandemic sent everybody home yeah. when you're together. Um, if you're in close proximity to your abuser. Right. And, and chances of abuse when increase. financial stressors increase, yeah. when there's no escape, essentially, mm. um, we expect violent behaviors, especially between intimate partners to yeah. go up. And people don't even have uh, a tendency for domestic abuse are now exhibiting tendencies to um, right. uh, uh, to abuse. So this might not new cases might not up. manifest fi is physical abuse but it definitely manifests it can definitely manifest as emotional abuse too right. name calling arguing being up just the way that you kind of experience one another and the impact that that has on your overall mental health um i was actually just reading an article that was published um like not even a week ago by the new england journal of medicine um with relationship to intimate part partner violence um so the study is a pandemic within a pandemic um major authors are evans lindauer and farrell published december tw uh, 10th 2020 um, and you guys can link to this article we'll make sure we put it on our social media um so this is a this is taking a look at what our projected projected expectation was as clinicians um for the for an increase of intimate partner violence with schools closed with stay-at-home orders with people being laid off people having to work from home limited personal movement confinement you know people being confined to spaces that kind of thing so um there was an expectation that domestic violence hotlines were going to experience an ex like a serious significant increase and demand for services as states started enforcing these stay-at-home mandates and interestingly enough um 
most of um, most many of these organizations experienced the opposite of that. So right. in some regions, uh, the number of calls that were coming in dropped by more than fifty percent. So um, now that can be like seemingly deceptive. I think right at right on the like the surface level. Um, the reason that most experts anyway are and I would completely agree with this um, hypothesizing that there was a decrease is because less uh, less ability, less capacity to actually call for help because you're with your abuser more often. Right. So it isn't that those services, the need for those services have decreased. It's that your capacity to call for those services has decreased because you're not, you can't, you can't leave the home and the, the people that are perpetrating the violence are also not leaving the home. Right. Um, so, uh, this study is kind of interesting or this article is interesting because it, it talks about this potential for a second surge, um, that's related to, uh, almost a delayed increase in the need for services. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, so while there's been a drop in caseloads as of now, as we progress further and further into our pandemic timeline into the future, that and as stay at home stay at home orders get lifted as people start to reintegrate back into the workforce, um, that those numbers are actually going to astronomically increase. Yeah, that's heavy. It is heavy. Um, so I mean, and that there's a lot we can talk about there. You know, anyway, like the mental health issues that arise from something like domestic violence. My area of expertise is in post-traumatic stress treatment of traumatic stress, um, and when you have trauma you experience post-traumatic stress exactly so uh, my, my scope of practice when i do new thetic counseling uh, uh, ones that i hone in on a lot are suicidal ideation identity uh, uh disorders um as well addictions and substance abuse pretty much idolatry and uh and identity is where we go to uh and uh, uh things uh, of like uh, process addictions as well so behavioral addictions is uh you want to explain uh, what that is? Well, a process addiction is anything but a substance uh, addiction. So it's a behavioral pattern that you are processing, manufacturing from within, uh, kind of thing. Uh, so, for example, like sexual, sexual immorality, sex addictions, pornography mm-hmm. uh, use, and that, uh, and, and then a, a yielding to that as well. Like it's 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 trapped you um uh in that and so that's you know uh the show my strange addictions and everybody's seen it and everybody loves it and everybody wants uh-huh. but those are mostly process addictions that we're viewing on you right know, you know somebody loving their car uh and actually <laughs> loving their car you know i've seen that episode i don't know if you've seen that episode i have yeah somebody that wants to be really intimate with their car sexual <laughs> paraphilias are interesting yeah too. those are uh, and those uh those that's the background that i have mm-hmm. uh and not in just uh, counseling work, but then also experiences uh, in my own life before I met Christ. Right. So, yeah. um, and these things are probably popping up everywhere. Too. What? Right. And so, uh, so as we see, like as we see um, increases in domestic violence, um, decreases in economic independence. What we also see is <coughs> limited access. So. And so with this, the the orders that have been put in place to try and stop the spread of this virus, the stay-at-home orders, um, what we see is limited or increasing limits on access to other social programs like shelter, mm-hmm. um, food assistance, and um, mainly because you can't access 
these specific economic programs and so this is i don't want to compare like make a straight comparison of this but i got married in february i still have not legally changed my name because i can't enter a social security office oh wow so i'm getting ready to (laughs) (laughs) well i'm right i'm getting ready to have um to have a baby and i would love my last name to legally match that of my husband and my you know son who will be born soon um, but that doesn't look like that's going to be happening <laughs> until sometime in the new year. Wow. Um, again, that's definitely not the same thing as somebody needing shelter or food assistance, getting those access to those programs. Um, but there's been delays in systems that we're used to having access to. So um, one thing I will say, too, about intimate partner violence, it takes lots of various forms, physical, emotional, sexual um, people of all races, cultures, genders, um, socioeconomic class, uh, re- religious ideologies, they all experience this. It does not discriminate. Right. Um, but th- there is a disproportionate effect of uh, this kind of violence on communities of color and other, uh, we'll spend lots of time talking about this, um, like intersectionality going for- forward, but quote unquote marginalized groups. Right. Right. So individuals that, that, would need access to these resources more like more frequently than other groups are going to experience the effects of not having access to them. And it's a withdrawal like, okay, so if they're so used to having something and then that's taken away, your life changes and your mind changes as well. So domestic violence is a huge area here where we've seen tremendous increases in, well, where we're projecting tremendous increases in the like long-term psychological effects. Right. We really don't have any data yet because we're not able to yeah, collect data. As far as data. long-term data. Now, what we can say for sure is like, let's just say uh, when uh, suicide, uh, suicidal ideation has gone up. Yes. Um, it's hard for me to consider. And we'll give you the actual statistical numbers for that exactly. in just a sec. And it's hard for me to consider that suicidal ideation correlates with COVID pandemic, but it will increase if you already are that type of person. And so we're seeing a lot more suicidal ideation increase, but that doesn't mean that they didn't have a problem beforehand. And most likely like they Like a have. predisposition. A predisposition. But I'm going to argue actually, yeah. Nick, that that doesn't have have to be true and the reason is because when you introduce things like isolation right you don't necessarily have to have had any pre like any historical predisposition towards suicidal ideation like for example um we're going to speak to um one of the first responders we're going to speak to is my husband and um he is a crisis counselor um so one of the things that he's done throughout this pandemic is actually get called into retirement centers, places where family members aren't allowed to visit. Um, So individuals in our geriatric community that may not have had a predisposition towards depression are suddenly extremely isolated from their social support networks. I would love to see the study on, yeah, first time, first time suicidal ideation. Right. Um, And so, you know, again, you're looking at longevity too. It would be less likely to find somebody in their eighties that has never had any type of suicidal thought, self-harm thought. um, And then is now uh, like suddenly only experiencing them across a lifetime. Wow. That's new. So predisposition for sure. And then first timers, Absolutely. Right. So I think that there are a lot of individuals that may not have had um, really any history whatsoever of feeling suicidal or any type of self-harm behavior because they are so isolated. And we know isolation is correlated with increased anxiety, depression Mm -hmm. Um, now because they're not allowed to leave home or they've suddenly been taken out of school where all of their social support is. Mm -hmm. Um, 
are experiencing these things for the first time. Again, we've got one one study that really looks at some of these numbers and it's got a pretty good population size. I'm going to start talking about that here in just okay. a second. Um, but we don't have a ton of numbers yet because it hasn't been very long, right? right? So what we're doing is we're taking some new data from this last year and we're comparing it with data that we already had as our baseline. Right. Um, anyway, I, I just want to say that for anybody that has in this last year started experiencing mental health issues that, that previously were not there, I think that's entirely understandable. Yeah, predispositions. Yeah, totally right. understandable. Yeah. Okay, so again, we're going link, to link to this in our social media um, so that you guys can actually see this article. It's really interesting. Um, so this was actually put out by the CDC, so Center for Disease Control and Prevention. Um, it, the, it's dated for August 14th, 2020. Um, and essentially it's a comparison of uh, 2019 mental health statistics to 2020 okay. health statistics. Okay. So I'm actually just going to read specifically from the article because I think it's it summarizes it really well. Um, and it'll give us some um, like a good kind of baseline for what we're talking about. Um, so the goal of the study was to assess mental health, substance use and suicidal ideation during the pandemic. Um, what was done were representative panel s surveys. Um, so those were conducted among adults aged 18 years and older across the United States from June 24th through 30th of 2020. So what the study found was that 40.9% of respondents re reported at least one adverse mental or behavioral health condition. And so some of those symptoms included symptoms of anxiety disorders or depressive disorders, symptoms of trauma and other stressor related disorders, uh, stressors related to the pandemic. Um, or having started or increased substance use to cope with stress or emotions related to COVID-19. Um, so you're talking about a little bit less than half, right? 40.9%. Right. Um, the percentage of respondents who reported having seriously considered suicide in the 30 days before completing the survey was 10.7%. Um, and it was significantly higher among respondents aged 20, excuse me, 18 to 24 years. Um, and there's a lot that goes into statistics like that. That's pretty typical. That age range would would see a higher increase anyway. Right. <clears throat> okay. So during June um, from the 24th to the 30th, that's when these surveys were conducted. So um, a total of 5,412 um, web-based surveys were considered in the study. Um, they had a total number of 9,896 that were eligible, eligible, so they invited that many adults to participate. Um, and of that, we received, or the, the study, the researchers received usable 5,412 studies. Um, so the Monash University of Human Research Ethics Committee, um, so this is a study out of Melbourne, Australia, rev reviewed and approved study protocol. We're not going to get into all the details of this. Yeah, and it's important to note when we, we see w uh, web-based surveys, these are important, but they are quasi-experimental because you can't do all the controls uh, for right. these things. Uh, well, and they're well. they're subjective, and they're yeah. it, the answers are subjective. Yeah. So these are people that are talking about their own personal experience, mm -hmm, right? right? Which essentially is what we're looking at anyway. And so in age, yeah. in gender, 
uh, and uh, disposition where you're located will come into effect uh, as well. But uh, in this study, it's just it's a broad. It, it, it does point to a bigger problem, though. Uh, when we have these web-based surveys, it, it does show you uh, people's mentality and, uh, and what they're reporting. Right. Okay, so some of these statistics are really interesting. Um, we already said 40.9% of the 5,470 respondents who completed the surveys during June reported adverse mental or behavioral health conditions. Um, so they re reported symptoms of anxiety disorders, depressive disorders. Um, so of the people responding, 30.9% uh, reported those types of symptoms. Um, people reporting trauma-related symptoms uh, related to COVID-19, that percentage was 26.3%. And individuals who started or increased substance use to cope with stress or emotions related to COVID came in at 13.3%. Um, I will say, too, that historically, typically, um, substance use is significantly underreported. Yeah. Um, usually in clinical practice, when somebody tells you that they use this amount of a substance, especially if you have known substance abuse history, right. most clinicians will, will um, increase that by about four times. Right. There's a, a significant margin of error. Right. That too as well. Especially in the state of Arizona where we have the slightest degree law. And so you can have an illegal drug of metabolite of any sorts uh, and uh, be labeled as somebody who is using substances, and the, which subsequently go into uh, the uh, statistics. So if you smoked marijuana once, well, that stays in your system for 30 days. Uh, and uh, if you get caught with that in your system, now you're a part of that statistic, or at least uh, the statistic of of uh, drug abuse or whatever like that right. which is it's it when you when we get down to the addiction part of it it it, it really is um, not a useful um, right uh, number so. well so we know there's we know there are established correlations like cause and effect relationships with stress and sure. substance use yes losing your job or being told to stay at home and you can't provide for your family increases stress right right if you're already a pot smoker yeah you're going to smoke more pot. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. If you're already an, if you already drink too much or heavy drinker or an alcoholic, you're going to drink more. Right. Right. Because when we get stressed out, we use what we've always used to cope. Right. Right. So as Christians, we're called to run to Christ to not, and not to a substance. Right. And this is actually what, uh, something that I wanted to bring up too, this, uh, that word self-control. We know that self-control is in the fruits uh, of the spirit. Love, Joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, right, from Galatians, and control. Right. Yeah, and that's from Galatians five. Um, is the word uh, ingretia, uh, uh, mm -hmm. right? And that means mastery or to have master over something. And this is, in a sense, a, a self-control proceeding out from within oneself, but not by oneself. It's usually it's using God uh, to have that self-control. That's why it's the fruit of the spirit. But let's just say in the uh, uh, book of Titus or the letter uh, to Titus, that epistle, mm -hmm. and Paul's writing to Titus, um, he's talking about false teachers, talking about the establishment of, uh, of elders, how to conduct himself as as a worker of Christ and a pastor. Subsequently, uh, they are a part of the pastoral epistles in the last half of chapter one and the first half of chapter two. Um, he mentions, uh, if you look in the ESV translations or any various English translations, uses the word self-control 
four times in a matter of a cha- uh, one chapter and one half, mm-hmm. which is weird. Now, if you look, at, it's not weird, but he's really honing in on self-control on this. But it's a different Greek word that he uses. He doesn't use the same word uh, in the, the fruits of the spirit as he does with Titus. Actually, the, the word in Greek is uh, saffron, mm-hmm. or in this case, saffrona. But um, it actually means in having a sound mind. And this is an inner outlook which regulates outward behavior. And so not only should you have self-control by relying on God, but he's also uh, saying have self-control by one who has a sound mind, right? So we have sound mind and then inner strength for that. And a sound mind um, is a lot of what we predicate in counseling t- is to think differently. And we have the beginning of wisdom is the fear of the Lord. Um, and in order to have a sound mind, you have to think wisely. And in order to think wisely, you have to start with God. Right. And in order to start with God, you have to be born again. Yes. You have to repent of your sins inside with God about your sins. And then a, a constant exhortation to yield to uh, God, to work out your salvation with uh, fear and trembling, to offer your body as a living sacrifice, to be conformed to his image, and to be transformed by the renewing of your what? Mind. Mm -hmm. And in these situations, it would behoove the Christian to learn these disciplines. In fact, these situations now give you an excuse for practice and for sanctification. Right. Yeah. It's it's just really interesting. So, and I want to be clear, uh, we're not we believe very much that mental health issues are real and debilitating um and we're not saying at all that it's as simple as just changing your thought process right. on your own it's not there's a there's <coughs> a there's a, a process in there you can't just change your mind right. but how uh, but you do have to change your mind so right. how does that get done? right but yeah. God, so but god can yes Right, but God I'm yielding over to Christ. Right. So um, some more interesting stuff pulled from the study. Um, at least one adverse mental or behavioral health symptom was reported by more than one half of respondents aged 18 to 24. And that uh, statistic was 74.9%. 51.9% of 25 to 44-year-olds. Uh, 52.1% of, of Hispanic respondents. Um and uh, essential workers that responded, uh, 54%. So um, really interesting kind of across the board. It, re- it reported subjective reported increases, right? So another thing that the study did that was really interesting, I think I mentioned it before, was it did a comparison of um, second quarter statistics that were available from 2019, right? right? Because okay. it wanted to look at what, so what have we had, like what do we have established in terms of symptom prevalence, so elevated levels of adverse mental health conditions, substance use and suicidal ideation reported by adults in the United States in June of 2020. So that's kind of what we just went over. The prevalence of symptoms of anxiety disorder was approximately ready for this three times those reported in the second quarter of 2019. So 25.5% versus 8.1%. COVID has caused a triple. Right. <laughs> prevalence of depressive disorder was approximately four times that reported in the second quarter of 2019, so 24.3% versus 6.5. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so the study goes on to, to note that there were some methodological differences between the studies that they were using as comparison, which is fair. I think it's important, though, that we recognize 
even with methodological differences, we've got a huge statistical variant. Right. And I, I hope that when you're listening to this, your definitions of what is essential and not essential starts to change. Right. Um, ugh, it just it breaks my heart all over the place. Okay. Um, let's see here. So mental health conditions were found to be disproportionately affecting specific populations, especially young adults, Hispanic persons, um, black persons, essential workers, which makes sense. We're going to talk to a couple of essential workers in our next episode, unpaid caregivers for adults and those receiving treatment for pre-existing psychiatric conditions, right? Mm -hmm. Which kind of speaks to what you were talking about before, Nick. Individuals with pre-existing conditions with a predisposition towards mental health issues are going to experience p potentially um, a more significant increase in mental health symptoms than somebody right. else. On top of that, we're creating new cases, too. As well, right. So, um, so yeah. So, again, we're going to link the, this study in our show notes so that you guys can check it out yourself. Um, but we're seeing a just in this one study that looked at 5,000 respondents 5,000 surveys anyway um, we're seeing a tremendous increase in basic mental health issues like anxiety depression and suicidality right huge so this study doesn't go th doesn't go and identify like specific causes like isolation um, financial distress and there will be studies in the future longitudinal studies that look at those specific um, contributors, but we just haven't had enough time. They're not available yet. Yeah, they're not available yet. Let's talk, let's talk about these individual ailments here that we see popping up to as well. Suicidal ideation. Um, from what I've experienced in talking to people that have a lot of suicidal ideation, and there are multiple, multiple, I'm being superficial here, uh, but a lot of, one of the biggest issues that I've evaluated myself um, is a lot of suicidal ideation has to, uh, has to do with First of all, a suppression of God in, in this fallen world. We always have to start with that. If you're a Christian, please start with that. Uh, original sin, the suppression of truth. Right. Um, also, a lack of understanding oneself. And subsequently, if you're a Christian, you should say if you lack oneself, it's because you have a lack the understanding of who made you. Um, and so it all comes back to the suppression of truth. But uh, a lot of suicidal ideation is predicated around I don't know who I am. Right. You hear this in uh, depressed people uh, all the time. It's just when you're depressed, you don't not feel like you. And this, this, that's. True. I don't know who I am, and I don't know what I'm worth. I don't know who I am, and I don't know who I'm worth. Now, sometimes I ask, did you ever know who you were, and did you ever know what you were worth? Right. And I would argue that you need to ask, by what standard are you? Exactly. <laughs> Whatever definition are you even coming right, to? Right. Right. Uh, and uh, again, this could be. This could be talked about uh, in a loving and kind way. And, of course, we're speaking blunt. Uh, me and Robin have Asperger's right now. so. <laughs> but, uh, um, and, but um, however, um, a lot of depressed people will talk about, I did feel good before, but now I don't. Why? Because I don't feel like me. Right. And then they don't understand of what their definition of you was before you were depressed may contribute to the folly of depression currently now there are other factors biological factors that may go into this so i'm speaking superficially here but i want you to know that who you are never changes mm -hmm. and if it has you may have had a misnomer here <laughs> about your definitions of self even before you felt bad right so as a christian our identity is rooted in christ 
Exactly. That's one of the gifts of redemption, um, of, of regeneration, is that it doesn't it doesn't belong to us, right? It isn't d- dependent upon us. Right. It isn't up to us to define who we are. Right. God defined who we were at the very beginning of time. Right. And our purpose is extremely clear and very simple. Right. We exist to, to enjoy him and to glorify him. I was uh, hearing a TED talk one time uh, about a successful businessman, and he was happy. He had a, a, a wife, children. He wasn't a bad guy. He, he, he's not a thief. Well, you know, I mean, a, as far as his human nature, yeah, no one is good and no one is righteous. <laughs> but you would have lunch with this guy, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, he's not going to rob you. Hopefully. Uh, hopefully. <laughs> uh, you're skeptical right now. <laughs> you're like, well, maybe. <laughs> We're just talking about human nature, so. Uh, you know. However, um, you know, he became extremely depressed. Now, it turned out he had a biological disposition that was kind of uh, messing with his brain a little bit. But at the time, he did not know that. Okay. And he decides to go out into the middle of the woods uh, and he's going to hang himself. Mm -hmm. So his depression uh, started and this is that first time, right? Because we know that that that's that first time of suicidal thought and suicidal ideation is centered around thought and then actually manifesting the action, whether or not you're successful in the suicide or not. Um, uh, there is a difference between one who just thinks and has no intention and then one who thinks and has all the intention. Yes, yes. Uh, we're talking about ones who have the attention, uh, the intention to do it, and that's suicidal ideation. And um, he goes out in the middle of the woods, wants to end it all, right, uh, and brings a rope. And he's going to mark Red was here after he was done. He was going to Ed end his life, okay? Um, now, he didn't. Yes. Because obviously he's giving a TED talk and he's giving a, a TED talk on mental health. And it's it's a good talk. And I agreed with everything. We can link saying. that. We can link this talk yeah, too in yeah. the show notes. And I agreed with everything he was saying here, but I had one small critique and it wasn't necessarily a critique on him about, but, but a thought process that I really want to hone in on uh, <clears> as well. <throat> Even if you do know who you are and you know that you're made in the image of God and you believe that deeply, it doesn't keep you from depression or anything like that however it will save you in your depression and this is what i mean he made a profound statement he said i did not know who i was Mm -hmm. uh because i was depressed and i was willing to end my life because i lost my identity now he didn't say that explicitly he just said when you're depressed you don't feel like you right which means he was trying to get back to who he was and i would just wanted to hone in on let, because it was a biological ailment, it seemed like it was going to come whether regardless what he believed. Okay, mm-hmm. and it was had to do with something with his liver too as well, which, whew, you know, uh, when those you know are thyroid or whatever, um, it can make you crazy, right? And I just wanted to hone in on, even if let's just say he understood the image of God in his life. I do not think he would have went out into the middle of the woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, he would have felt still terrible. His biological disposition was going to tell him things, but he would have rejected it mm-hmm. and maybe would have sought another path to go get that fixed. But it wouldn't have come down to ending his life. And even in your most trying times, the truth saves you from the ultimate bad decision right and that would be my critique on that thought process of mental i think i think we have to be careful i think that 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 possibility is definitely there i think we have to be careful um because there are definitely physiological um 
Yes, exactly. Physiological that's, that's why thing. I wanted to preface it that way. Well, yes. but like, so let's say so something if is physiologically causing you to become, um, to, to to make you insane or out of your mind. I think that you like you can make an argument that regardless of whether or not this man was a Christian, there could have been something that the truth would have saved him. Yeah. Well, there could have been something that could have made him so out of his mind that he would have still gone out to the woods. Right. But I think your point is, is that for most people who don't cross that line into psych- psychotic or delusional ideation, right. right, when they have their identity firmly rooted in Christ they don't go to the woods. Yeah, that's not even a factor. Right. You know, like going to get healthy is the factor. Right. Well, yeah. you might you might really want to go to the woods. Yeah. But well, yeah, there's been so many times that I've wanted to go to the but, woods. But you don't. Instead of going to the woods, you you go some, yeah. You go to the doctor. It, you go to, go to get help. This is just a yielding to objective truth. Um, if you watch the American Gospel um, Christ Crucified uh, situation, uh, a guy, uh, you know, he believed in Christ, but he didn't know. Uh, and then he gets in an accident on his bike and he's it was head trauma and after he recovered from it he goes man if that went slightly different it was it was gone and he he came to the uh, the uh, determination that he either could have lost his personality or that this was it and he decided to forego christ because of that Mm -hmm. this is the only life you have there is no judgment and he came to that conclusion and altered his uh, belief mm-hmm. in God because of this, uh, because of this ailment, because he failed to realize the objective standard of truth and the folly of his world. Right, right, right. Yeah. That it's unchanging. Um, so just kind of rerouting back to the COVID psychological, um, psychological re- repercussions of COVID. Um, I, another study that I was looking at actually just came out of Cambridge and it looked at um, some of the, uh, increases in depression this is a U- so cambridge is a university in the united kingdom um it looks at some of the depressive symptoms that children between the ages of seven and a half and eleven and a half are experiencing relative to to the lockdown um and again we'll link this in our show notes so you guys can take a look at the study um so let's see um, so new study by researchers at the University of Cambridge finds that the government imposed lockdowns in response to the coronavirus pandemic have caused significant harm to children's mental health. The study published this week um, in the Archives of Disease and Childhood was the first of its kind to analyze data on younger children's mental health before and during the first lockdown in the United Kingdom last spring. So it followed 168 children, like I said, between ages of seven and a half and eleven and a half. Um, and it says that it, the study found that children's depression symptoms have si- significantly increased or substantially increased relative to before lockdown. The scale of this effect has direct relevance for the continuation of different elements of lockdown policies, such as complete or partial school closures. So we're seeing, and I've sent you several um, suicide links, right, Nick, of kids yes. that are committing suicide uh, some of them even on these like zoom or google classroom meetings right yeah. like while they're in school um and again we need a lot more study to determine like what's actually happening here in the psychology of these students to push them towards suicidal behaviors um but just hypothesizing and being speculative right isolation lack of peer support cyberbullying is probably up tremendously um, probably following a similar trajectory to like the domestic violence increases that we were talking about. Um, we're seeing mental health issues 
pop up in our little kids now because right. of this. And everybody goes, you know, uh, there's this saying out there that kids are resilient. Um, now, in some ways they are, especially to, you know, the, well, let's just say this uh, COVID. Not a lot of them are affected by the symptomatic things that are going on uh, with COVID. But they're increasingly, uh, are, they're fragile in the mind. And they're not fully developed yet. Right. And in order for a child to be uh, resilient, it, it has they have to be developed in the way of resilience as well. Right. And so now when everything is on hold, especially if you're watching your parents struggle, um, there's a lot of things that can come. You're isolated from your friends. Uh, you're not doing uh, your normal routine. And the kid, uh, does, they don't have that, uh, that, that built-in resilience right. left. Uh, and, and subsequently, I think we're seeing the effects of that. Yeah, agreed. And that's, I mean, that can be like it's whole other, a whole other series <laughs> that we do. Um, resiliency factors in and of themselves. Um, but yeah, so this is a this is a really interesting article. I don't even think I said the title of it, but this was actually published um, or published online anyway, Friday, December eleventh, twenty twenty. So we're talking about we're looking at studies, um, and this is for the Foundation of Economic Education. This particular summary, anyway, um, we haven't been in the, like even though this year has felt like the year of decades, right? Like that we've been in it for the for two or three decades. We haven't been in it that long, truly. Seems like long. Why no? Yeah. We don't have data yet. We have a little bit of data, but not much. Um, and really, all we can do is kind of speculate and project what the long-term effects of this is going to be. Our unemployment rate is at an incredible high. Our f The financial devastation that this is taking on the worldwide economy is incalculable, really, at this point. And everything rolls downhill. So, right. And, and I, I hearken back to a verse in Ecclesiastes, specifically chapter seven, verse fourteen, when it says, "In the day of prosperity, be joyful, and in and in the day of adversity, consider God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him." And what this is really exhorting you is that there is a time to rejoice. I mean, be thankful um, when nothing's wrong. Right. And praise God. You don't ignore him. But also there will be suffering. So there is going to be joy and there's going to be suffering. And he tells you to consider uh, in the day of adversity that he's made that day right. as well. And again, a yielding to the truth will have you get you that sound mind that 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 Paul is exhorting Titus to have. Right. The sound mind that's yeah. going to get you th like over the hills and through the valleys right yes. and not to mean that you won't feel it or no. burning or you're going to have some thoughts that you don't want to have no we're promised things two yeah. things as christians we're promised christ and we're promised suffering so it isn't about the avoidance of suffering it's right. about learning to suffer well and, and of course and i ended you know every episode with this but to take courage uh, and, and to have heart right uh, that he has overcome the world right the fight's already won we're more than conquerors so one thing that you're going to notice in your life is that you're going to notice that you'll have joy but then also, you know that joy is going to end, right? And you also know that you're going to have suffering. Right. And you also know that suffering will end. Now, you don't know when it's going to come right. or when it's going to end. You just know it's going to come and then it will end, both joy and suffering. <laughs> right. A lot of people's thoughts is, is this the rest of my life? Right. Like a, a never ending. And I can say for certainly, because I believe in the resurrection of the dead, that no. Right. Absolutely not. And our greatest hope as Christians is that great day of glory. Right. 
So um, as like we're going to we're going to spend a lot more time talking about like how as a Christian you should be approaching how you should psychologically be approaching this pandemic. There's been a lot of fear, a lot of panic. Our media outlets, our government leaders, our pastors have all given us information about how we're supposed to respond but we go back to scripture always, right? I always wrap it up in that. <laughs> always go back to scripture. Um, and it's never changing regardless of what I want to do or what my body's telling me. Right. So no matter how I feel about something, there are certain things that remain true, right? The heart is deceitful above all things. So we don't take, we don't listen to what our heart tells us. We listen to what God tells us. Yes. Who um, controls your heart and let him change that. Right. So it can tell you the right things, by the way. So um, <laughs> our next episode is... Uh, All right, so um, in our next episode, we're gonna have we're gonna talk to two different people, um, both like we said before, been first responders during this pandemic, and we're gonna ask them specific questions about what they've observed in the pandemic, with regard to the psychological impact of COVID and what it's done to people, to to victims and victims' families, um, and we we're really excited about that. So we hope you enjoy it, um, and then um, we'll kind of wrap it all together with the so what you know, yeah, what, what does, does this mean? mean? What does this mean for everybody? And we'll, we will bring you through scripture because I believe that the Bible does tell us what this means. Right. And there are a lot of things that God is doing in this of which we might know two uh, things. It, there's billions and billions and billions of things going on in the cause and effect world governed by God. Uh, but uh, And you might glean two of these things. But uh, based off of what you do know, how should you walk? And I think that's the, the right. so what. That is a so what. So and we don't walk in fear. We don't you know, ultimately, we fear. don't walk in fear. We we walk in assurance. Right. So. So keep that sound heart. Keep that sound mind. If you don't have it, please pray, worship, consider your church and your leaders so that you may obtain that peace of God right. through the salvation of Jesus Christ. And he gives you a peace that's not like the world. Right. Uh, but a peace that only he could give. That's reconciliation to God and as always take heart he has overcome the world